Welcome to Broadway World Sun Like It Pop Podcast. I am Matt Timonini, Broadway World Senior TV and Film Critic. And as always, I am joined by the brains of our operation, Broadway World TV's Los Angeles Bureau Chief and Mercury Retrograder, Jennifer McHugh. Jen, has the moon matriculated to the seventh house yet? Um, that has nothing to do with Mercury Retrograde, but I appreciate you incorporating show tunes into the mythology. What the hell else do I have in this conversation if I don't have show tunes? <laughs> All right, you can follow Jen on Twitter at EponineQ, that's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q, and you can follow me at B-W-W-M-A-T-T. You can also read us both across various Broadway World sites, and you can now follow Some Like It Pop on Twitter at S-L-I-P Podcast. Someday we might actually remember that we have an extra account for this podcast and actually use it. So you'll want to be following when we do figure it out. Not only can you find all episodes of Some Like It Pop on BroadwayWorld.com, but you can also get new episodes downloaded automatically via iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Also, if you don't hate us, rate and review the show so that Jen and I have something tangible to fill the holes where our hearts normally would be. On this episode, we're going to talk the summer that was for the television medium that we love so much, as well as some things that we are looking forward to from the fairly slim pickings of the fall's new shows. Jen and I will also discuss a few summer movies that involved anthropomorphized food, which is an odd theme for a segment, but it's interesting. Then we will wrap up the episode with a little show and tell. Jen, when we went on our summer quasi-hiatus, we originally had planned to return in full force in August, but, you know, you kind of turned into like a world traveler, and our recording opportunities have been super limited, and apparently there is some astrological mumbo-jumbo that I think is somehow involving technological issues that I don't understand and think is ridiculous, but this is our final, I think, hiatus episode before we get back to normal, but... I did want to address the, the Mercury and retrograde issues as to why we are having so many different technological issues right now. Well, do you know what Mercury and retrograde means? Not a damn clue. Okay, so here's what it is. Mercury rotates at a slower than usual pace, giving it the illusion that it is moving backwards, which is why it's called retrograde. It's not actually... This is the, this, the planet, not the element. Correct, the planet. Okay. So... The planet Mercury um, rules communication, clear thinking, and truth. So when the planet goes into retrograde, all these things seem to go backwards. So especially – how many people are switching off right now? So especially for people like me who are Geminis, this seems to affect a lot of things. This is why you're told you should never start a new job or close a deal or sign a contract. You should avoid traveling, et cetera, while Mercury is in retrograde. It usually happens, and I'm saying that grammatically incorrect, while Mercury is retrograde, not in retrograde. Um, Sorry. (laughs) So it usually happens three times a year. For some reason in 2016, the year from hell, it's happening four times. So this is the third out of the fourth time. My office goes crazy. We're not allowed to hire or fire anybody. Um, And then it's just like any other thing you hear about where you're like, oh, that's stupid. And then you start paying attention to things and you start to psychologically believe it. So, yeah, I'm a full on retrograde freak and I'm in hell. How are you? It's been a long summer. Uh, Apparently so. And uh, I'm now starting to question all of my life choices by doing a podcast with somebody who follows astrological signs. But whatever. I know you don't appreciate the fact that I'm a cancer. So uh, No, I hate cancers. That explains so much about our podcasting relationship. But anyway, well, let's leave this weird stuff that's a bunch of crap and doesn't actually exist behind. And let's talk about things that are substantial and meaningful in our world, like television shows. Jen, there were three major series that premiered this summer 
um, either new seasons or, or premiere seasons and have really dominated the conversation of pop culture this summer. This has not been a summer where movies have really been the most important things for pop culture fanatics like ourselves. TV has really filled in the gap this year. And we're going to talk about three series, things that we've talked about before, but now have either progressed quite a bit or have completely finished and we want to kind of give our complete thoughts on them in their totality or as to where they are now the first one we mentioned in our last full episode but was after we only saw one episode we only saw the premiere and that is hbo's the night of jen we have had a few short discussions about the night of before and after the finale and i think we had similar but not exact reactions to that episode and to the series as a whole for those of you that didn't see the show this is hbo's critically acclaimed murder drama that really ate up a big part of the conversation this summer and save game of thrones has been one of the network's brightest programming spots in years it stars riz ahmed as nazir khan a pakistani american college student arrested for the murder of a wealthy white girl on the upper west side of new york he is defended by a low rate uh just kind of a bum of an attorney with foot eczema named John Stone, played by the fantastic John Turturro, as well as Chandra Kapoor, played by Amara Karan. Uh, she's a young lawyer from a big firm who takes the lead on the case after her boss becomes frustrated and quits. While awaiting trial, uh, Nazir, also known as Nas, becomes increasingly more violent while waiting at Rikers Island, clouding our initial good feelings for him. The murder was excessively brutal, and the writers of the show peppered in so many different things. We're never sure exactly whether Nas is guilty or innocent, pretty much until the very end. Now, Jen, the finale aired 11 days before this episode of the podcast will air, so I feel like we're pretty safe with discussing spoilers. Do you agree? I agree. Okay, so we're going to talk about spoilers from here on out. So if you have not finished The Night Of and you plan to, check the show notes. I'll go ahead and put timestamps in there so you can know how far you have to fast forward uh, to get to the next topic. <laughs> okay, Jen, I really, really loved the acting and the directing of this series, but had serious issues with the writing, which we will get into. But let's start talking about the finale. We both or I tweeted out both of our predictions for what we thought would happen. And to be honest, I kind of like both of our predictions better than what actually happened. How did you feel after that final episode, that final marathon hour and 40 plus minute episode aired? Oh, I thought it was way better than what we predicted. I liked that he, when it was all said and done, pretty much everybody was broken. And I think that that was what the whole point of the show was. He escaped a conviction, but he was a worse person for it. Only friend is on the inside, and, and they can't really keep in contact anymore. And his family is falling apart. The lawyer got fired. John Turturro's eczema is back. Like, everybody was broken just because of one mistake. And I thought that that was a really interesting message to, to send out. The way this ended up, as you mentioned, he was uh, Nas was acquitted. Not only that, but we are left with the strong indication that he, in fact, was innocent. That there was another suspect that was overlooked initially and was eventually found. And we have the, the idea that the district attorney and the lead investigator, Detective Box, were going to go after this other suspect, uh, Ray, and, and go after him for the murder. So we are left with the impression that Nas was not only found not guilty, but is also actually innocent. But having spent that time at Rikers, he participated in illegal drug trade. He 
participated in a murder inside. And as you said, he is a broken person and a much different person than the fairly innocent college student that we were led to believe he was before he went in. My problem is I don't think the show ever really understood what it was. Was it a real life drama or was it trying to be some sort of allegorical metaphor for how messed up the criminal justice system is because there are so many flights of fancy and and things that are just completely force you to suspend all semblance of disbelief that I'm just not sure I I was able to get into it as much emotionally as I would have if they'd have just played it straight things from early on like like Nas getting sin tattooed on his hand. Really, you're you're in jail for murder and you're going to get sin tattooed on your knuckles. You'd have to be an idiot to do that. Yet he does it. He makes out with the lawyer. The lawyer's really going to make out with a murder suspect in a jail cell 20 feet from a police officer. And then she goes even further and smuggles in drugs in various places for him. Uh, it's just... There's so many just things that I just couldn't get past to where I wanted to love this show because the acting was fantastic. The tone and the vibe and the uh, everything about the, the atmosphere of the show was great, but it just seemed so unbelievable at times. I applaud your innocence and in thinking that that would never happen. Well, I, I didn't um, say it would never yeah. happen. I'm saying it from these characters. I think that that was the point of the show, though, is to say, like, what would happen if, if that happened to me and I got sent to prison and the only friend I make is literally a mass murderer and he tells me to get something tattooed on my hand? Yeah, you're you're damn right I'm going to do that. I will do anything he says if he's going to keep me alive. But that's not, so but I, that's not what we saw. That, that's not what we saw. We saw Nas doing these things with no regret, with no forethought. We saw him turn to a completely different person immediately and we saw no regret from those things and then with his lawyer she i just it it just rung very false and looked and felt very much to me as they were just things dropped into the story to make things more difficult without being actually motivated by character um okay that's your opinion (laughs) but i i do think you know um you know, people are based on circumstances. And in one circumstance, when he is in a middle class home with a good family, he's one person and he's put into a maximum security penitentiary, you know, risking his life. He's a different person. And I think that that could be a light switch change. I've seen it. So I had no problem believing the circumstances that happened. And, you know, if, if, if it rang false for you, then that's how you perceived it. But I just, for me, it rang very true. And I thought it wasn't a metaphor for our justice system. I thought it was an actual snapshot. You know, I'm all caught up in true crime and following yeah. wrongful convictions and all of that stuff. So none of this rang false for me at all. Well, and I'm not saying that it wasn't one or the other. I, what I what I felt like it was trying to do a true, obviously fictionalized, but a true crime type story with also trying to make a bigger point. I don't think those things are easily melded together. I think trying to tell one specific story, I think they did that very well, but then they tried to make these bigger points about how how prison changes you and the people you're surrounded by force you to make t- difficult decisions. 
and then they broadened it and, and made it just less believable for Nas. So I think you're right that it works. Ve- I think it works better on the true crime level than it does the the metaphorical, allegorical microcosm level of trying to say our justice system creates more, you know, bad people than it helps or whatever, you know, you want to think the theme or the message was. The only complaint I do have with it is that I feel like as a limited series, it was held to a lot of um, parameters hmm. that if it were extended more then we could see the time could pass be. and see him devolve into this, you know, different person. However, I understand HBO's perspective because, you know, when series have tried to do that before, the audience gets really bored. If it's a series about one trial for three years, I mean, even from Twin Peaks, when they didn't solve the Laura Palmer murder, everyone was like, oh, my God, solve it already. Uh-huh. Or what was that other one? The Killing. Yeah. You know, they they didn't reveal the killer at the end of season one. And, and no one watched season two because they were like, eh, I'm over it. Yeah. So I understand why they did it, but I also think that that kind of suffocated them a little bit. Okay, so we have a little difference of opinions in terms of the execution. But one thing I think we agree on is the performances by these actors. We can talk about Nas here in a second, but let's talk about John Turturro first. John Turturro is an American treasure, and the fact that he is like a B-level star at best is a travesty to the American cinematic community because what he did as John Stone in this uh, in this show was was fantastic. I hope you agree. I do agree, and I, he is an American treasure. I think he's at the perfect level of celebrity. He is not um, a, a Will Smith or you know a movie star. He is so perfect in these little like indie, um, weird, quirky roles. Like he's such a Coen Brothers dude. So I love when he just pops up all of a sudden. And I I think we had mentioned before that this part was written for Mm -hmm. Gandolfini, and it's really hard for me to picture him in that. I think John Turturro brought the exact flavor of it. Obviously, we'll never find out, but I thought that I I want to give him all of the awards (laughs) right now. No, he is great. And you're right. This part, I believe they actually filmed the pilot with Gandolfini. So I believe that video is out there. Uh, I'm not 100% sure of that, but I am fairly confident that they at least shot part of the f- uh, of the pilot before he passed away. Now, and I don't know how much the character changed. Because of his death, there was a substantial delay uh, in development for this and production of this. So they might have changed some things to accommodate John Turturro's uh, specific idiosyncrasies. Uh, but yeah, he was fantastic. He was everything you want a character actor to be. He was specific, he was bizarre, he was unique, but he was universal as well. And, and I thought he was, uh, he was the heart and soul of this, uh, of this series, which I, I think he was supposed to be. I'm not 100% sure if it was supposed to be John Stone or, or, or Nazir Khan, um, or if it was maybe supposed to be a partnership. But for me, he really stole this series. And that's saying nothing bad about Riz Ahmed, uh, because I thought he was great as, as Nas, but, but John Turturro will be nominated for many awards for this. And hopefully, like you said, will win. Now, what did you think about Riz? Because as we said before, he is primarily uh, known as a rapper. He's a British actor and rapper. Um, he's done some stuff in um, the Jason, in the last Jason Bourne movie. He's going to be in Rogue One, the new Star Wars movie, but he is known primarily as a rapper. Oh, I think he's a find. I think this was his breakout role, as they'll call it. But I think from now on, he's going to be known as a very great actor. I thought his performance was amazing. Um, and he kept it right on that level of, I feel bad for this kid, and I don't trust this kid. And I think that's exactly, you know, the mission he had 
to come in and do this like as green as he was to to pull that role off and carry this show i think is so impressive yeah i i agree he was great he he was in uh nightcrawler with uh joan hall a few years ago he'd done some other things but nothing to the, to this level by by any stretch of the imagination was there anyone else in the cast that jumped out maybe maybe naz's parents or or maybe um dennis box bill camp the the detective or um or Kapoor, the, the the lawyer, anybody else that jumped out as giving a, a really substantial performance? Well, literally everyone you just right. said. Um, his parents, I think, were very underrated. I thought that they were really stellar in for what they had to do. And I have to shout out um, Michael K. Williams, because yeah. I know you're not a wire person, right. but I, I'm a big fan of him as an actor. He, he tends to keep playing the same role, and I hope that someone will give him something different. He's shown up in a few comedies, and I think he's got a really good comedy bone in him, so to speak. But um, I will watch anything he's in because I think he is riveting on screen. He played Freddy. And, um, yes, the guy that played the cop. What's his name? Bill Camp. He's a stage and screen actor as well. He was great. And I was really fascinated by the prosecutor. She had a very – she was compelling. Like, I hated her, but she was so compelling to watch. The one that insisted on – called mrs yeah uh helen weiss uh yeah Jean berlin yeah so she's uh she's uh she was interesting and what i thought was so interesting is that she was so specific as well another broadway uh actor as as well of course since we always mention all the good theater people but she you know like Totoro, she had a little bit of a, a quirk in her voice and the way she spoke that made her so specific and unique she wasn't a stereotypical law and order DA where especially a female DA where they all look like they were ex models. Um, you know, she looked like a real person, but she also had a really, uh, she also had a really strong specificity that made her a unique character. So I, I thought she was great as well. Yeah. Yeah. Those are my call outs. All right. Cool. So that season wrapped up. There's a very decent shot of this coming back for a season two. It is based on a British series by uh, Peter Moffat, who is the one of the showrunners for um, not only uh, Doctor Who, but for Sherlock and things like that over in uh, on the BBC. So he ha- has this show um, called uh, Criminal Justice uh, in the UK. So I'm sure that this will have a fairly... Um, long life with that as well so hopefully uh, we get to see more i don't know if it'll be a um i don't know if it'll be an extension of this story if they do have a second season or if it'll be a new story altogether i kind of hope it's a new story altogether but i also kind of want to see what happens with these characters and maybe get some some vindication for some of the characters that ended up like you said broken i think a lot there was a pretty decent amount of 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 outcry for Chandra Kapoor's the character of Chandra Kapoor who was the lawyer who basically lost her entire profession for making out with Nas in in jail and I think there's a lot of people that were disappointed with how her life ended in this because she was really the only one we talked about people being broken but she was probably the most broken because at least everyone else had opportunities and she seemed to have so much of it taken away so I'm excited to see what they do with that next. All right, so now we're going to move on to that was a new show this summer. We're going to go next to a show that came with its second season this year after having kind of that similar response that the Night of had this summer, last summer, and that is USA's Mr. Robot, which is essentially about hackers trying to... It's basically about what 
Tyler Durden tried to do in Fight Club. And I don't think that's um, being cavalier to make those connections because that's pretty much what the first season was in many levels. And so much so that they used the same music from the Fight Club movie. So there is a lot of connections there. But Jen, I just did a binge watch and watched four or five episodes in the last few days so that I could catch up for this. There's been a lot of very weird twists and turns, uh, not only in terms of the story of Mr. Robot, but also in the um, the production and the presentation of some of these episodes. So why don't you go ahead and start and talk about what you've thought about season two of Mr. Robot thus far? I love it so much. There's, um, and I've say, I've said this before, and I'll say it again that one of their newer characters, um, rapper Joey Badass, who plays Leon, is still one of my favorite additions to season two. Um, he, I don't know why, I just adore him every time he's on screen. And kind of like we were talking about Nas in in the night of, um, I hope that this is just a jumping off point for his acting career because he's just great. Another thing I love this season is Angela, yes. who. I had n- no affection for in season one, and she has become so layered and interesting this season. Um, in one of the most recent episodes, she was at a karaoke bar, <laughs> and she sang a version of um, Tears for Fears, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, and it was the most haunting version of that song, and it also kind of provided the soundtrack for other goings-on in the episode as she was singing, and it was one of my favorite moments of the entire season, only to be outdone by a cameo by the one and only Alf. I think I texted you when I saw that. Like, what did I say? I should find the text. But I was like, I just said, what the fuck, Alf? Or, or something yeah. along those lines. Like it, it Because you had just started watching the episode and you said, what is going on? And I was just waiting because I was like, oh, Alf's going to be on screen any second. He's going to flip out. <laughs> and I loved Alf when I was a kid. Like I remember doing some sort of uh, time capsule project when I was in kindergarten or first grade. And I remember specifically including something with Alf because I loved Alf so much. But yeah, it just that episode. Let's talk about that episode. The first 15, 20 minutes of, of one episode had to do with, in terms of the plot and the narrative, uh, Elliot was getting the crap kicked out of him and he was having some sort of, I don't know if you want to say it's a, a, a break with reality that Mr. Robot initiated to kind of protect him from that. But it played out like a very weird late 80s early 90s sitcom that had a family road trip it had a really bizarre laugh track it had terrible green screens it had alf it had uh tyrell wellick's body in a trunk angela was at a was working at a gas station and there was some murders and thefts and it was the most trippy 20 minutes i've seen on a television show that is not normally trippy in a long long time yeah it and it was one of those things where you're, you're watching it and you're like, are they going to do the entire episode this way? Because it goes on for a good 15, 20 yes. minutes and you're like, oh my God, they really hammer it home. Um, I appreciate it though, because, you know, I always pretend my life is a sitcom. So I wish I had a laugh track, even though ironically in real television, I hate laugh tracks. <laughs> but um, that was one of the stellar episodes. But also the one thing I mainly learned from this season is that I don't hate Phil Collins as much as I thought I did. <laughs> Um, and I really want a smart house. Oh yeah, the sm- that that smart house was pretty badass. Granted, it just took a couple hackers a, a few minutes to completely, you know, take it over. Yes, it's not it's not without its dangers. I'll give you that, <laughs> but it was really cool. Yes, yes, it was. And to go back to to Angela and the karaoke bar, you know what that made me think of, right? Mm, no, it made me think of my other favorite. T 
TV karaoke moment, and that is, of course, Kevin Garvey singing Homeward Bound uh, in The Leftovers. Leftovers, So that's immediately when I thought of it, because she didn't start off all that great, and she didn't sing great, but I think she has a much better voice than Justin Thoreau does. But anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. The thing with me that has made this season a little different than the first season is is that, to me, it is much less about the hacking. It's much less about their mission, about bringing down the financial institutions that, through their corruption, have ruined so many people's lives. To me, this season is so much more about people pushing their own ethical and moral boundaries to do things that they never thought they would in pursuit of something that they think is a larger truth or a larger good or whatever it is. And I think first and foremost of those is Angela, who was a character in the first season who was as Pollyanna as you can get on this show. She was as Miss Goody Two-Shoes as you can get. Perhaps her switch was a little too dramatic, Um, although time is very flexible on this show we never really know how long in between scenes or episodes things are so um until maybe they make a passing comment oh it's been a month since we've been to the smart house we had no other way to know that for the past 20 minutes so that might have something to do with it but angela now is this character who we're not sure if she's to kind of quote some of the language of the show given into the dark side or if she is really gaming the system and trying to bring down evil court more than she ever was before. We're not exactly sure. I also think Darlene this season has been super, super interesting. And I think she is a very strong asset to the show that is underplayed. She's played by um, Carly Chaikin. She is Elliot's sister and kind of took over for him as the leader of F Society while he was, we'll talk about it in a minute, otherwise predisposed. Um, I think those two characters have really been more interesting to me than Elliot has this season. And I think that that's a great point, um, which we've kind of mentioned in past episodes, that this very, very male-driven show has suddenly become all about the two females. Yeah, and go ahead and, thro- go ahead and throw in Joanna Wellick as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Joanna and as well as, um, is it Grace Gummer? Yeah, it, it, the, the Gummers are interchangeable, but this is Grace in her case, yes. <laughs> the Gummers are interchangeable. Oh, it's funny because it's it true. Is. Um, but yeah, I mean, season one, as wonderful as it was, it was very male-driven. It was Elliot's story. It was Christian Slater, you know, discovering who he was and all of the male hackers. And all of a sudden... Um, Darlene's running F Society and Angela is, you know, playing her cards, which we have yet to figure out what she's doing. And then the agent is running the FBI and Tyrell's wife is the villain. So it just did a complete 180 as far as, you know, the showrunners. And I thought that that was really clever, you know, and even when we find out, you know, where Elliot has been, um, which kind of explains all of this as he comes out. You know, he has to fit into their world now. Yeah. And I just thought that was really cool. Yeah, no, I... Good for smile. Yeah, yeah, good for Sam. I, I, I agree. I, I'm still... I'm not a huge fan of... And maybe it's just kind of my OCD mentality is... I don't like being in the dark this long in, in TV shows that are super complicated. Because I feel like I lose the plot when there's so much that's not being told... I don't mind the big reveals, and this is another spoiler alert, so maybe I'll put another timestamp if you want to skip ahead. I don't I don't mind the big things, like figuring out that Elliot was not actually living with his mother, that he was actually, in fact, in jail. I don't mind those, because those are things that lead up to big reveals. What I don't like is, I don't really understand what the hell's Angela's... What, I don't really understand what the hell Angela's doing. I don't really understand 
what the hell Tyrell Wallach's wife is doing. Um, I don't really understand, I, honestly, anything. I don't understand what, what anybody's doing on this show, and that, that bothers me a little bit. I feel like it gets in the way of my appreciation of the show. Um, so I wish there was a little more detail, and we could see a little bit more in terms of what was going on. But I think in terms of the character execution and the the different pieces coming in and out, I, I think it's a it's it's a much more coherent job this season. Even though they've expanded by two episodes and it's now twelve episodes, there are episodes when we don't see um, Dom Grace Gummer's character, we don't see Joanna uh, Joanna Wellick. There are episodes we don't see Angela. There are episodes when we don't see Elliot. So. You know, I think they've they've done a good job of making it more multi-layered, even if I still have no idea what the hell is going on. And I'm the opposite, um, obviously. <laughs> I have no idea what's right. going on. Like, I literally watch it, and then I wait for my roommate to watch it, and then I'm like, okay, tell me what just happened. But I love that we don't know what Angela's doing. I love that we don't know Darlene's endgame, or if she's playing Cisco or Cisco's playing her. I love all that stuff, because I like to be surprised. So there's only how many more? Like one. I know the finale is two hours, so maybe one or two uh, or three. Yeah, there's the, the last episode was episode nine. There is ten, eleven, and twelve. But if they do two together, so it's two more weeks. So yeah, September fourteenth is the finale. So that's next week. And that's two hours. Yeah, that's next week. Girl, this just into the Sun Like It Pop newsroom. Instead of the Mr. Robot season finale being a two-hour episode airing on September 14th, since Jen and I recorded this episode, USA has announced that they would be splitting the episode into two separate weeks, the first airing on September 14th, the second on September 21st. You've been warned, set your DVRs accordingly, and we now return you to your previously scheduled Sun Like It Pop programming. Okay, well, I am very excited to see... Um, where it goes from here and it hasn't disappointed me at all and I know there's been some complaints but you know it's the internet so god forbid we don't have outrage but I'm excited for Tyrell's return I don't know where he's been I don't know what he's up to you know I have a theory but um, I'm excited for his return I think it's been a really big build up yeah. and you know that I have slowly come over to your theory lately to the <laughs> point where I kind of don't think it's as insane as I thought it was at first we you know, you mentioned early on that you thought perhaps um, uh, Craig Robinson's character of Ray was in fact a figment of Elliot's imagination. We found out that that's not really the case, although it's kind of the case because he wasn't who we thought he was based on what we saw. But I, I kind of support your idea that Tyrell, at least in part, you think that Tyrell might be another personality of Elliot. I think at least part of Tyrell might be Elliot's subconscious, but I'm not 100% sure. There seems to be a much, obviously by the end of this last episode, a much more personal connection between Joanna and Elliot than we've ever really seen before, right? We also know that in the weird, some of the weird flashbacks, Elliot knows Tyrell's wife because she showed up in some of his flashbacks. Um, we know that Joanna was had somebody... I don't know if he was following Elliot or protecting him. Now that we know that he was in jail, maybe they were protecting him on the inside. I, I'm not 100% sure what's going on there. It is confusing as hell. I have no idea what's going on, but I, I don't have any major complaints for this season. Me neither. I'm excited to see how they wrap it up. Yeah. Do you have any predictions for what you think might happen throughout the remainder of these final three hours? No. I have no idea what's going on. Okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to know that I'm not the only one that is just along for the ride and doesn't understand a damn thing. 
Exactly. It's all about the journey. And sometimes you find out that the journey is you. Oh, Jesus. Okay. That's that's from the show. <laughs> Elliot's, been, Elliot's been saying that for weeks now. Okay. Anyway. Yes, but he's also been proven to be the unreliable narrator. Yes, so maybe he's just playing that's us. That's true. And I also must say that, again, one of the things that I think is the most fascinating about this casting of this show is that Sam Esmail has cast people with the biggest eyes in the entire world. Oh, yeah. Like um, every single one. It's bizarre. I mean, it's not, it's not a bad thing because they're so expressive and, and, and in some of the cases, just gorgeous. Um, but there's just these, look at the eyes on some of these main characters. They are bug is not the correct term, but they kind of make me feel like they're like Funko pop dolls. Um, because <laughs> they're just like, wha-bam! But anyway. Okay. Moving on to a show that was... I don't, it, it was it was definitely less confusing than Mr. Robot, but had its own confusing moments and a lot of things that were held off until the ends in terms of explanations, and that is Netflix's Stranger Things. Jen, when we did our last episode, you had just started, and I had not seen any of the episodes of Stranger Things, but this was Netflix's drama. I guess it was a drama, horror drama from the Duffer Brothers, kind of an homage to 80s and even some 90s horror kids adventure steven spielberg uh, stephen king type movies that really along with uh the night of and even mr robot has really taken a lot of the pop culture steam of the summer that's normally reserved for films i admittedly am not somebody who is a huge fan or connoisseur of this genre that the duffer brothers were were emulating with with stranger things but i enjoy it enough to kind of understand some of the references and all that stuff but stranger things was effectively about uh, it followed the story of these four kids one of their friends disappeared and a government organization faked his death again spoilers i guess faked his death because what actually had happened was there was some monster that they helped bring into the world that had taken him to the, what do they call it, the, the under, the upside, the upside down. down. They took him to the upside down with the help of this young female, what, what's the right term? You know all the ret- mercury and retrograde stuff. Is she a, is she a <laughs> psychic's not the right term? What is her? She would be a, um, like a telekinetic yeah. phenomenon. Yeah, there you go. She she has telekinetic powers, and that is, um, of course, L or Eleven, and it starred nobody you've ever heard of, really, except for Winona Ryder, who, as you said in our last episode when you mentioned this, is I don't I don't want to say weak link because she I don't think she was bad. But when you compare her to some of the other performances, especially from the kids and from uh, the main male adult actor, she was worlds behind them in terms of performance. But Jen, I don't have anything really monumental to say about Stranger Things. I enjoyed it. I didn't. There was. I have no complaints. But I. I didn't necessarily go along with the internet adoration that seemed to pop up really quickly. Oh, I am the queen of the internet adoration of it. I thought it was just wonderful it was funny it was scary it was adorable it was endearing it was great nostalgia nostalgia or nostalgia i don't know it's a soft g who cares um (laughs) but like you said we're looking at three generations of brilliant performances by young actors i mean you have winona and then david harbour who plays the sheriff and matthew modine 
all of which who have their own storylines going on. Then you have the teenagers who are the Steve, Nancy, Jonathan love triangle. And then you have these four young boys and 11 who, and all three of them have their own stories. They obviously intertwine, but it's just stellar performances all the way down the board. I'm not a big Winona fan, you know, never have been. Yes. Heather's was good. That wasn't about her, but, um, she wasn't bad. She just wasn't, I don't know. I don't want to put Winona in a place where she has to be overly dramatic and that's what she had to be here. Um, but she wasn't horrible. She just, I thought, kind of, you know, was overshadowed by the talent of all these no names. They are big names now because I see them popping up everywhere. And I have to give uh, props to the directors because I have seen these boys in 11 on uh, talk shows and in many different appearances. And they have a lot of energy, <laughs> like a lot. <laughs> so for them to be able to get these, you know, stoic performances out of these very energetic 12 year olds, kudos to them. Um, it did get renewed for season two, thank God. But I'm wondering how it'll work with, it always happens with, you know, kids these age, they they grow up so fast in this age range that, you know, from one year they look like a little boy and the next year all of a sudden they're teenagers. So I'm wondering how that's going to figure into season two. I know I had read that my favorite little one, Dustin with the Lisp, our uh, Broadway vet, of course, when they went to re-record some of the ADR, his voice had changed, so they couldn't re-record it. So even in that amount of time, you know, they've already lost the little boy effect. So I'm very excited for season two. I think it was a great summer show and a big sleeper hit for Netflix. Yeah, absolutely. You're talking about Gatton Matarazzo, who played yeah. uh, Gavroche in this current revival of Les Mis that actually, as we are recording, is probably finishing up its final performance on Broadway because it closes today on... Uh, September 4th, the day before Labor Day. Um, but yeah, it, it, you're right. I think the different generations in there are was really compelling because they did have their own storylines that obviously all revolved around the one major mystery, the disappearance of Will. But they all were very unique. And I, I have to say, I think the you know L11, played by Millie Bobby Brown, which... Every time I hear that name, yeah, it. I have to take a little bit of a pause for that. But I think she was probably the breakout hit. But I think the, the, the ones that really were the most interesting to me were that middle generation you talked about. That was Natalia Dyer and Charlie Heaton as Nancy and Jonathan. Those two just seemed to have a really cool chemistry. And I really enjoyed those scenes together more than I think a lot of the other internet comments they, they kind of got overlooked a lot and i really appreciated those two characters and that relationship that they had that really was kind of the not throwaway but was not the the one that got a lot of attention i agree with you and and i do like the internet arguments that she made the wrong choice at the end even though um you know steve turns out to be a not so bad guy uh, I do like that they kind of left it open for interpretation as to whether she made the right choice or not well i you know i don't read internet comments all that much, so oh. I don't really know what's going on with that. But yeah, that, that will clearly be addressed in season two. Uh, I don't think that we've seen the end of the Nancy and Jonathan romance by any stretch of the imagination. Now, Jen, you are more into this this genre or this era of films than I am that, that the Duffer brothers are paying uh, homage to in The Stranger Things. How do you think it held up in terms of comparing to some of these films that it was drawing inspiration from? I think it was a giant love letter to them. And um, I don't think they were trying to, you know, 
outdo them in any way. I think it was just a way to pay tribute to them. And in that aspect, I think they succeeded on every level. You could tell that they're just huge fans of the era. I mean, the styles of the costumes and the hair were so dead on. It was so weird. Like, I felt like I was watching my childhood in front of me. I'm so old. But uh, I thought I just, it came off like a love letter to me. So if somebody who enjoyed Stranger Things but didn't have a very strong reservoir of experience with the films that these things were based on, if they had, they wanted to go and see see if they could go down to their local blockbuster and pick up some movies to kind of get a crash course on, what are some things that you would recommend that they would appreciate? The first one that comes to mind to me is, is obviously Goonies. Blockbuster. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely Goonies. I think I had mentioned before that I love any movie where kids are on bikes and are getting into <laughs> adventures. That's just my favorite genre. E.T. Could um, throw an E.T. there. Goonies, E.T., I don't know why I can't think of any other ones. I just had a long conversation about Goonies today, so it's funny that you mentioned that. But also, you know, a little bit of the horror movies, like the terrible, cheesy horror movies from the early 80s, like Friday the 13th and, um, oh, what was that horrible one? Sleepaway Camp? Oh, dear God. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I think that they, you know, and even with the soundtrack, the music and just the way that the high school looked with the lockers and the gym and the gym outfits and every little touch was just so perfect. And just go watch the Goonies kids for God's sake. Yeah. And I think the, the most spot on hair makeup costume has to go to Barb Holland. Barb. Yeah. <laughs> Barb Shannon Purser, who is the, this character that has become adored. I do know that online adored online who had a, a very inauspicious yep. end on the show that apparently we're going to get some justice for Barb in season two, but she just screamed to me like a nerdy version of Molly Ringwald. And I mean, an even nerdier version of, of Molly Ringwald. So definitely there is a justice for Barb movement <laughs> online. I think it's hilarious because she did look like every girl in 1983. So um, my favorite meme was in a world full of Nancy's be a Barb. <laughs> I had nothing wrong with Nancy. I thought Nancy was a good character, but me too. Anyway. Me too, but you always you never root for the pretty girl. All right. So we're gonna close up our summer TV that was section with a show that I have not gotten into yet, and that is Boz Lorman's The Get Down, which is a musical-ish drama set in the late seventies in the South Bronx that chronicles a bunch of different styles of music coming together at that time period. Jen, you apparently, despite the fact that this stars Jaden Smith, really like this show. Um, in spite of is a great way to say it <laughs> because he's irrelevant, which I'm kind of sad because his character could be really interesting if it was given to a, a better actor. But that aside, I thought it was really entertaining. I love this period, especially this music. And it's literally about the evolution of disco into hip-hop when Grandmaster Flash and DJ Cool Herc started putting beats under poetry and they created rap and hip-hop using the um, what they call the get-down, which is the beat in disco under, not the singing, the musical part. So it's a really cool, Grandmaster Flash produced it and it's kind of a historical fiction account of his experience in the Bronx in the 1970s. There are actual real-life characters in it, like Grandmaster Flash appears, DJ Cool Herc, Ed Koch. He's running for mayor at the time. Uh Um, So there are 
you know, it interweaves with reality and fiction. It also reminds you what a piece of shit New York City used to be in the <laughs> 70s and 80s, not the glorified Disneyland you see now. And, um, you know, you say you're from Brooklyn now and people are like, ooh, fancy. Not then. But <laughs> it basically centers around this kid, Zeke, and he's a poet, but he has no outlet for it because he's a black kid in high school. And that's not really cool to be a poet. And then he discovers this DJ named Shaolin Fantastic, which is such a great name. And together they learn from Grandmaster Flash on how to do this new art form. And he's starting to see himself, you know, have a future. And the narrator is a grown-up Zeke in the 90s who's a very successful rapper played by none other than David Diggs. So (laughs) God God help my soul. Um the soundtrack's incredible. You know, it's bad, so it's very splashy and very over-the-top, very cheesy. But the kids are great. Um, the lead kid, Justice Smith, who plays Zeke, he's another real find. He, I had only known him from um, last summer's movie, The John Green Book, which I'm sure you doesn't interest you at all, was um, Paper Towns. Yeah, no. He, he had a small role in that. But he's great, and he carries this show. But I, I I honestly think you'll like it, even though it it doesn't really, you know. Yeah, it's not my make me think like love this music or anything. But I think the story is really enticing, and I think you'll like it. Yeah, I'm excited to watch it. I do like Baz Luhrmann. I as I told you before, when we were kids, we played my parents Curtis Blow records and my parents uh, Sugar Hill Gang records, like the actual records. So, yeah, I definitely look forward to that and and getting a chance to watch it. Now, they've released six episodes so far, but season one is actually 12 episodes, I believe. So what Mm -hmm. they're doing is is they're releasing season one in two halves, which is very unusual for Netflix. But that's because there was a lot of developmental issues with this series. So it'll be interesting to see when. I don't think they've announced the date um, for the second half release yet. So it'll be interesting to see when that happens. Um But I'm excited to watch. Now, here's a little something that's interesting, Janice. I'm kind of going through some information here. David Diggs is the adult who rap narrates the series, but apparently he doesn't actually do the rapping voice, which I thought thought was... Right, he's lip-syncing to Nas. That seems odd to me, considering David Diggs is, in fact, a pretty accomplished rapping actor. He is, and I read an interview with him and said that they recorded him doing the rapping, and then they recorded Nas doing the rapping, and everyone came to a unanimous decision that Nas's voice sounds more like a grown-up Zeke, whereas David has that very um, distinctive tone. I don't know if you've ever heard of a musical called Hamilton. Unfamiliar. Unfamiliar. His his voice is very very distinctive, and if you watch Zeke as a young boy... It doesn't make sense. Like, I understand okay. the decision. So, Because I, I, I would have thought that that would have been something that would have angered you tremendously. But you seem okay with it. Nope. So, okay. Well, it's Nas. I mean, it's hard to be mad at right. that. That's true. Okay. All right. So, coming off of the summer that was, those are the things that really we devoted our binge-watching time to. This fall does not ha- seem to have as much potential for greatness as this summer did. Which is not all that unusual. Generally, in the fall, the shows that that we get are network-based, 
which, as we've talked about before, is not necessarily our cup of tea. We tend to like the cable dramas a little bit better, and even the cable comedies a little bit better, which are generally held off until the second half of the season, which happens after the first of the year. However, we have gone through um, primarily the network shows. There's a couple cable things mixed in, um, and each picked out three shows that we are optimistic about watching, uh, three shows that we are looking forward to watching, um, and we'll kind of go back and forth with them. Jen, why don't you start us off? What is your first fall show that you're looking forward to? I saw a trailer for a show on the CW called No Tomorrow. Have you seen the previews for this? I, I have, actually. This is the one with uh, Joshua Sassy from uh, Gallivant, right? Correct. Okay. And it's, you know, the old cliche tale, girl meets boy, boy is hot and British, but he also believes that the world is going to come to an end in eight months. Right, yeah. Um, that common, <laughs> common television and media trope. So, you know, they start a whirlwind romance and she discovers this and he, thinking he has eight months to live, has created this apocalypse of all the things he wants to do before the world ends. So now does she, you know, run away screaming or does she kind of give into this sort of throwing caution to the wind and um, living in the moment and have the romance of her life with this dude? So I think it's a, a cute concept. Um, like you said, Gallivant Star, he's adorable and he's... and. Um, there's the girl I've never heard of. They says she's a newbie, but everybody's saying that she's going to get great reviews for this. Uh, I'll check it out. I like the CW. They're pretty hit or miss. So, you know, it looked cute. Yeah. I'm surprised that you went with something on the CW that was not post-apocalyptic. This is, I guess, pre-apocalyptic, but po post-apocalyptic and YA based with a bunch of people. I guess this does have... A lead character with very good cheekbones, which is uh, something that you oh, often look for. That's my to. qualification for the CW. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, okay, I, I, I might check this out. I, you know, I, between um, iZombie and Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex Girlfriend and, and the entire Berlanti verse, I spend a lot of time watching CW shows. So I, I can't imagine I won't at least tune into this at least once. So do, when does that premiere? Do you know? I don't. <laughs> Aren't I great? Good story. Way to be prepared. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> look that up and maybe we'll come back uh, after I go into mine. So my first show is a show that if you have watched NBC at all throughout the Olympics or at any time this summer, you have probably seen the commercial for this show at least 2,700 times. And that is the new time travel show Timeless that will debut after The Voice on October 3rd, that in and of itself should make you interested because The Voice is the hottest promotional property on all of network television. So if they are going to tie a show's premiere to The Voice, you automatically know that NBC is bullish on this show. And the thing that really made me interested about it was that Jen, one of our favorite people, Abigail Spencer, also known as uh, Amantha Holden on Rectify, is the star of this show. And I did watch, I have seen the pilot for this. It does not live up to my Quantum Leap levels of expectations because that is one of my all-time favorite shows. I do love me some Quantum Leap. But the pilot is pretty interesting. It has to do with a terrorist played by Goran Viznik. Is that how you say his name? I figured you'd be able to pronounce his name better than I would, Jen. Uh, sounds good to me. The guy from ER? Yes, yeah. Goran Viznik, um, who plays a terrorist, ironically named Garcia Flynn, taking away the fact that he is Eastern European and making him quasi-Latino, I guess. But he goes and he steals a time travel machine and 
We don't really know why. The first episode, he travels back to the explosion of the Hindenburg, and instead of trying to make the catastrophe bigger, he tries to prevent it, and we don't really understand why. Abigail Spencer plays a historian. She gets paired with a soldier and an engineer to travel back in time to stop him. Um, There's a lot of time travel shows on TV right now, but this one seems pretty interesting. It does address some of the always there time travel paradoxes. The engineer that travels back with him is played by Malcolm Barrett. He is a black man, so they go back to the 30s in the first episode. So that is something that they talk about as well. Um, It was a fine pilot. There was some intrigue and twists at the end that makes you think there's going to be more going on. And there was an, an emotional gut punch at the end. So I, I think this has some some potential. It's something that I'm excited to see how it goes. It is not one that I feel super tied to, like I have to watch this through. If I get bored after a few episodes, though, I, I might quit. One thing, Jen, though, the guy who owns the company that builds the time machine, he's kind of an Elon Musk kind of guy. He is played by none other than Holy Wayne himself. Oh, man. <laughs> Between Amantha and Holy Wayne, might actually have to watch this one. Yeah, I mean, it sounds intriguing. I don't know if I can... I'll try it. I mean, what the hell? You you, you have access to the pilot right now, so if you want to watch it without commercials... Oh, well, then I'll definitely watch it. Yeah. So, Should have opened with that. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned it, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, sometimes I tune out. That's okay. Did you find a, a premiere date for No Tomorrow? I did. It is October 4th. Okay. 10-4. So yours is on 10-4, mine is on 10-3. So your next one that I know you want to talk about is one that, if you hadn't mentioned it, I would. This is Pitch? Yes, yes, Pitch. Okay. So Pitch is a new Fox series premiering on September 22nd. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, And it's basically, well, I don't think that I've made a secret of the fact that I'm a baseball fanatic. And this is a fictional story about the hopefully near future where the MLB has its first female pitcher. And, well, I mean, you can only imagine... (laughs) that that's a full story right there. Mm-hmm. My skepticism derives from, is this a series or is it a movie? Because I feel like I watched the entire series in the trailer. Hmm. Um, it has great actors. It has a guy. I can't remember his name, his real name, but he used to play coach on third watch. And I really like him as an actor. Hmm. Um, he plays her father. Anyway, it's exactly what you think. You know, she's going to come up against adversity. She also has to speak for, women unfortunately she becomes that face and she's gonna have her struggles but she's also gonna you know make history so i'm all for sports themed programming and i'm all for feel good movies and tv against adversity so i have high hopes for it i just am wondering how long they can sustain it as a serial yeah they've they've talked about this show being developed as a west wing for baseball which, of course, hits so many of my erogenous zones. It's uh, it's kind of creepy. So I'm very excited. And then you throw in the fact that it also co-stars Mark Consuelos, uh, Kelly Ripa's husband, Mateo Santos from All My Children, as well as a nearly unrecognizable Mark Paul Gossler, who plays the catcher. And he wears this big beard, so you can barely tell that it's Zach Morris himself. Holy crap, that was him, huh? That was Zach Morris himself. So, of course... Wow, I did 
not get that. And you are not the only person. So many people have said if if they hadn't known or didn't hadn't been told or hadn't looked it up, they would not have known that Mark Paul Gosler had grown a beard to play. He plays the catcher, the character that you mentioned, the first female player. She's a pitcher. So there's a, you know, anybody who knows baseball, I was a catcher when I played. There's a huge, important relationship between pitcher and catcher. And so obviously that'll be a, a super important aspect of this show. So Everything about this uh, makes me very optimistic, and it's gotten very, very good reviews from critics that have seen the pilot so far. That actor's name was Michael Beach. Michael Beach. FYI. Okay, cool. Michael Beach. All right, so my next one uh, premieres on October 2nd, and it is actually on the home box office network, so it is not a network show, um, but it is a new HBO show that seems to have been in development for, I don't know, 20 years, it feels like. And that is the new show, Westworld. It is created by Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy. It was written and directed by Michael Crichton. It is also co-produced, executive produced, by a guy named J.J. Abrams, who I believe, Jen, you are a fan of. So that in and of itself gives me some optimism that J.J. Abrams is involved Not much is really known about this show. It's been very secretive. They've had a ton of developmental issues. Like I said, it's been in development for Warner Brothers since the early 90s. So when I said 20 years, I wasn't sarcastic. HBO announced that it was going to be coming to series in late 2014 and that it would premiere in 2015. In August, they first released a teaser, and then there were some delays, and so many different things happened. But it is finally going to air on October 2nd. It has a really interesting cast, led by Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris and Rachel Evan Wood, James Marsden, Thandi Newton, Jeffrey Wright. Um, just a bunch of really interesting actors um, that I'm interested to see how they all play together um it also has um the older brother of chris and liam hemsworth luke hemsworth in it as well so it just seems like one of those shows that you throw in a bunch of really talented people it could be awesome it could be awful not much is known about the show it's described as a dark odyssey about the dawn of artificial consciousness and the future of sin the series tells the story of a futuristic theme park called westworld Okay. Um, if, if anyone is going to make that work, I would trust Michael Crichton and J.J. Abrams. So I'm hoping that this goes well. Uh, torn. Not going to lie. Um, there are things that I love about it. There's things that I hate about it. There are things. I, I'm not an, a fan of Evan Rachel Wood. Nor I. But I worship Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. I think he does no wrong. Um, the concept is great. Like you said, it's in good hands with Michael Crichton and J.J. Abrams. I mean, you know, we'll check it out. There's nothing else we can do. No, absolutely. And that's one I have not seen the, the, the pilot for this yet. But HBO is usually pretty good. So hopefully I'll get that before it premieres on the second and be able to give you a report. Okay. All right. Next up, Jen, is a show that I, you've mentioned before. When we Before they'd announced when it was actually going to start, we thought maybe it would happen earlier this year. And you mentioned it, but it has been saved for this fall and it does have an official release date, right? Yes, September 6th, so it will have aired when this goes up. Oh, I didn't realize it was that quick. Okay, so what show is it? It's called Atlanta, uh, created and starring, um, created by and starring Donald Glover from Community, also known as Childish Gambino, the rapper. And it's basically a fictionalized account of a young man in Atlanta um, trying to become a rapper. 
So I fortunately have access and I got to see the first four episodes and it's really well written and it's a good show. It's very well conceived and it's very well put together. I just, it has everything I want and I have no desire to keep watching it. I think everyone else should because it's very good. I just, it's fine. It just doesn't do anything for me. I love Donald Glover and Childish Gambino and everything about it is right. I just, it just didn't hook me. So um, I encourage you to watch it. <laughs> yeah, and maybe it'll work for you. That's interesting. Yeah. One thing that I know right. that's that's weird about this is is Donald Glover is known as a comedic actor. This is not a comedy necessarily, right? I think it's a drama with with comedic moments. Um, like a, I wouldn't bill it as a comedy. Yeah, like a, it seems like it fits in a lot of those half hour slots that FX does. Yes, the Atlanta community is is very volatile. And he accentuates that a lot. It's it's really well done. I can't say that enough. I just it's just not for me. I hope that it's for other people because I always want him to succeed. Okay, fair enough. And he basically plays a he plays an agent who gets his tries to help his cousin become a rapper. Is that right? From what I understand, yes, his cousin under the rap name Paperboy has a great song and he tries to start getting it out there at the sacrifice of his family and his money and his, you know, his, he believes in it so much that he wants him to succeed, but, um, he just doesn't know how much of himself he has to give up to, before that happens. Great concept. Yeah. Well executed. Yeah. And his cousin is played by the actor and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, but his cousin, um, is played by the actor who originated the role of general butt fucking naked in, uh, the musical book of Mormon. So, does have some good stage cred there and obviously uh, can sing as well a little bit. Brian Tyree Henry. Yes, that's who I meant. Thank you. But I, I didn't know that that's what he um, is known for. So that's that gives it a, another cool element to it. Yeah. Again, hopefully it, it, it's successful. Yeah, absolutely. And the last one that I'm going to mention is one that I have seen the pilot for. And that is The Good Place, another NBC show. So I know Jen is... Very hesitant to watch it. Um, This is another one that you will probably have seen advertised quite a bit if you've been watching NBC. This debuts on NBC on September 19th, and it is a comedy, I guess. I mean, it's funny, (laughs) but it's not like it's it's definitely a single cam. It's a it's a comedy that'll probably make you smile more than it'll make you laugh. It does star. One of my all-time favorite performers, Kristen Bell. It also co-stars Ted Danson. And basically what it amounts to is is Kristen Bell's character, Eleanor, has died. And she shows up in what is known as The Good Place. And she asks how she got there. And, you know, they go into the story of how she died, which is kind of funny. And basically Ted Danson reveals that only a very small percent of the dead population ends up in the good place. And what they do is they have a very scientific and specific algorithm to rate and and give points for how good you are or how bad you are. And it's only the top, top cream of the crop echelon, 1% of 1% that makes it into the good place. In the good place, you are grouped with uh, 321 other people that are perfectly matched to form your own neighborhood. And in that neighborhood, your true soulmate also exists. 
The problem is, is that Kristen Bell's character, Eleanor, is not the person they think she is. They got her name right, but she is, in fact, not a lawyer who got people off of death row. And she did not volunteer and do charity in the Ukraine. She is kind of a... She describes herself as a medium person. So I don't want to spoil the end of the first episode. There's a lot of exposition, which, as we've talked about, the hardest thing to do is have a funny comedy pilot because so much has to be set up for people to feel comfortable to laugh at the situations. But the end of the episode really sets up what the series will be. And and I wasn't like you. I kind of um, was wondering if this was a series until the last two minutes. Then the series made sense. It kind of reminded me of My Name is Earl. So I'm optimistic that this will be fun. I don't think I, I'm optimistic that it'll be funny. And I think that there's a difference with those two things. But it's something that I will watch if for no other reason for a while. Because when I pick a perfect human that I would spend the rest of my life with, Kristen Bell's in the top four or five. And Anna Kendrick. Oh, she's in there as well. Yeah, I figured. I mean, they're, 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 those, like, those are definitely ones that make the final cut. <laughs> and honestly, not going to lie, they're in my top five, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about I, Kristen Bell is about my age. And so when I saw Veronica Mars, that show was just like, holy crap. I, I, I have adored her and followed her career since then. And, and I love Kristen Bell, the whole weird sloth thing aside, um, I could I could <laughs> overlook that. Although she seems perfect with Dax, so I wouldn't want to break up a happy marriage. They are an adorable couple. They really are. All right, so those are the, the three main ones. Jen, is there something real quick that you wanted to throw in as well? There's just a few things that I'm really looking forward to um, coming up in the fall. One, obviously, Walking Dead, find out who Negan killed. Second, uh, the return of Black Mirror, which is still one of my favorite shows, and I'm still haunted by the White Bear episode every night. Mm. That returns on 1021. Obviously, uh, the best show on television returns on October 26th. That's Rectify for its final season. Uh. Please, for God's sake, get on this train. Watch it. Um, watch it. Watch. And lastly, which I'm sure will not surprise you to go along with my true crime addiction. <laughs> There's going to be a, a documentary on John Bonet Ramsey on CBS beginning September 18th. So excited. Yeah. Uh, won't be watching that, but I will be watching rectify. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Yeah. I, I, there's not a whole lot else that jumped out at me this fall. Obviously some of the returning things, I, you guys all know where I stand on returning shows. But there's nothing super interesting that jumps out at me in the fall other than Good Girls Revolt. That's coming out on October 28th on Amazon. So that's a streaming thing. I think, Jen, do they release one episode a week? You watch some Amazon shows. Uh, no. It, I mean, in the past, it's always been like Netflix all at once. Does it, I thought for some reason the Amazon or the Mozart in the Jungle thing came out weekly. Mozart in the Jungle was all at once. Transparent was all at once. But I can't speak. For, those are the only two I watch on Amazon. Okay. All right. That's fine. Um, but it stars um, Anna Camp from Pitch Perfect, as well as Equus on Broadway with Daniel Radcliffe, as well as Grace Gummer and Jim Belushi. Grace Gummer, of course, the one we mentioned from uh, Mr. Robot, not to be confused with her sister Mamie, Mamie Gummer, which 
they were all Meryl Streep's kids, so I don't know, whatever. Grace Gummer does play Nora Ephron, and it centers on women in 1969 in the newsroom. They are all young female researchers on this television show, News of the Week, which, you know, it's a pretty interesting concept, you know, being a news person myself, not necessarily like I'm a news person, but I have a journalism degree and I love news. It also stars Hunter Parrish, who played Jesus on Broadway and Godspell. Um, It just seems like this show that could be a really interesting show. And I'm optimistic. I think Amazon has done a lot of good work lately. Not a lot of stuff that's really grabbed me. But this is one that has an interesting cast and an interesting concept that I'm optimistic to watch. Cool. All right. One other that I want to mention real quick is called Conviction. Uh, Jen, do you know this this show much? Have you heard this about this at all? I have. I think it's just um, because it's Agent Carter, correct? That's the reason. Um, <laughs> it, <laughs> it will um, debut on October 3rd, right around some of these other shows on ABC. And it stars Agent Carter herself, Haley Atwell. It just makes me very angry that season three of Agent Carter is either not going to happen or hasn't been announced yet. But she plays the former first daughter of the United States, so she's going to have to hide her glorious British accent. Also, Haley Atwell starred in one of the episodes of Black Mirror. Um, and she basically is essentially blackmailed um, because of her very scandalous lifestyle into leading the New York City's Conviction Integrity Unit that looks at potential cases of wrongful conviction and, and she kind of leads it up. She's obviously a brilliant attorney, but she has her own demons. It also co-stars Sean Ashmore from that, um, oh, what was Kevin Bacon's TV show? What was that called? The Following. The Following. He was on The Following. Emily Kenny, who has done some uh, movie stuff. She was also on Masters of Sex. Um, Walking Dead. Was she on The Walking Dead as well? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it looks interesting. I, um, you know, I would watch literally anything that Haley Atwell does. Yeah, because I think she is so underrated and uh, doesn't get the credit she deserves from from Agent Carter. So I will watch that one as well, at least for a while. Legal procedurals are not my thing, but you know you gotta you gotta give it some love at least for a while. <laughs> I know you love Agent Carter, so I love Agent Carter. I have a poster anyway. Um, <laughs> so okay, all right, we're going to move into some. Quick movie reviews, and I mean real quick, because we haven't seen a ton of movies this summer, really, because there haven't been a ton of great movies this summer. But Jen, um, let's start off with one that you've seen that I can't wait to see, and we've talked about it before, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but what did you think of Kevin Smith's Yoga Hosers? Um, We've made no secret of the fact that we're Kevin Smith fans, so it's a movie for Kevin Smith fans, and it's definitely a movie for Ralph Garman fans, but it is really ridiculous and really <laughs> silly but those kevin smith laughs that you want are there a plenty and it is just a good time i um i laughed a lot i just had fun and his daughter and johnny depp's daughter harley quinn and lily rose they really hold their own they did a really good job and i was skeptical of them in tusk because they didn't have a lot of screen time but they really hold their own in this movie and they're very enjoyable to watch and um if you go in Knowing what you're going to be getting, I think you're going to be really satisfied. But if you go in expecting, like, Ibsen, there's a chance you're going to be disappointed. (laughs) Fair enough. Okay. One of the main, um, I don't know if it's a main character, but one of the main things that we know about this movie, if you haven't seen it, is that it involves a Nazi sausage. Um, And that ties in well to a movie we've both seen 
called Sausage Party, which is a very R-rated animated film from uh, uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and Jonah Hill uh, and all those usual suspects. It has voice cast of Seth Rogen, Kristen Wiig, Jonah Hill, Bill Hader, Michael Sarah, James Franco, Danny McBride, Craig Robinson, Paul Rudd, Nick Kroll, David Crumholtz, Ed Norton, Selma Hayek. Holy crap, there's so many great people in this. Um, it is very much like Yoga Hosers. If you go in expecting something profound, you ain't going to get it. But if you go in expecting something that is ungodly dirty an ungodly perverse for an animated movie, chances are you'll enjoy it. Oh, so, so dirty. And like, just when you think it can't get dirtier, it's just filthy. And I loved it. Um, It is just that Judd Apatow crew, you know, of all these guys that just love to make movies together. And you can just tell that they're having a great time, but it is filthy. Don't take your grandmother. And it offends everybody equally. There is nobody left untouched. Um, if you have a sensitive sense of humor, not for you, but I, I laughed embarrassingly hard. Yeah, this is a movie that, um, let's take you back in the Way Way Machine. My brother and I went and saw Borat together and laughed really hard. If you know that movie, there's some very uncomfortable scenes that you might not want to watch with anyone that you share a blood relation with. Um, this probably surpassed the level of uncomfortableness um, with me and my brother because we were especially in a press screening. But there is definitely some uncomfortable things in there. But it's hilarious. I am a a big fan of this movie. They kind of set it up for a sequel. I don't know if that'll happen, but it did make a pretty decent amount of money. I mean, it cost them about $19 million to make, and there was some accusations of some sweat lodge type working, but it's already made almost $95 million. So I have a feeling we'll see a sausage party too, but man, it was funny. Dirty as all get out. So dirty. Yeah. And features music by some guy named Alan Menken. Who? What? Yeah, I know. Just crazy. So anyway, those are our um, anthropomorphized food movie recommendations for the summer. And honestly, for me, Two best movies of the summer. I just thought it was a terrible summer for movies. It was all about TV. Yeah, not good. Okay, Jen, let's go to some show and tell. Um, Why don't you go ahead and start us off with, because I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to do. Well, I had two things, so I'm just going to briefly mention them both. One, check out the trailer for Mascots on Netflix. It is Christopher Guest's new movie, and he does no wrong. Check it out. It's everything you want it to be and more. Um, But what I'm going to pimp out is a Twitter account, if you can believe it. And it's called The Last Blockbuster. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. That's actually what I was thinking of when I mentioned Blockbuster earlier. (laughs) Um, If you haven't heard of it, it's it's a Twitter parody account about the last Blockbuster store standing. And it comes from the perspective of employees who really just hate their lives. And it is just so snarky and funny. It makes me laugh all the time. just a couple example tweets. Uh, Netflix doesn't even have any stores. Um, our owner acts like the store is struggling, but he recently bought a sweet ass jacuzzi. So I don't know what to believe. Um, for some people, business is all about making money to us. That's just a bummer. It's just (laughs) one of those accounts that every time a tweet comes up, it makes me laugh. So if you just want something in your Twitter, that's not negative and not outrage and not Donald Trump, um, it's a good account to follow because it's always going to make you laugh. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, 
I don't have anything great because there's not a lot great out there right now, but I'm going to mention another Twitter thing that happened this past weekend. We're recording on Sunday, September 4th. On Saturday, the entire Twitter world lit up with unbridled hate for the bank Wells Fargo. Jen, did you see this? Oh, I I tweeted some uh, complaints to Wells Fargo. Okay. Yes, yes. Good. So, so Wells Fargo tweeted out this picture um, of a brochure that they are handing out where it has a ballerina yesterday, an engineer today. Let's get them ready for tomorrow. An actor yesterday, a botanist today. Let's get them ready for tomorrow. Join us for Teen Day on Saturday, September 17th, 2016. Needless to say, the actors and ballerinas uh, in the world did not take too kindly to Wells Fargo basically shitting on their lives and telling people that telling kids to having a dream to be an artist is not worthwhile. Um, so there, you know, I work for Broadway World, so many different uh, theater people were not too pleased. Cynthia Revo tweeted, apparently Wells Fargo doesn't think that an actor or a ballerina require any work at all. Shame. Will Chase, also of TV's Nashville. I'd suck at botany, but as long as Wells Fargo can help me realize my dream, patronizing much. Um, Benj Pasek, who is a a Broadway uh, writer, wrote... Yep, from Pasek and Paul. And tomorrow, an apology from Wells Fargo for denigrating the legitimate dreams of young artists everywhere. There, It just goes on and on and on. And as Jen said, you added to them. So go ahead and look at Wells Fargo's mentions. <laughs> um, they have since issued an apology and touted how much money they've donated to support the arts and culture and education. I just don't understand why this keeps happening. Like, these things happen on the reg. So you would think that advertisers would understand not to piss on the lives of artists and a good one from uh, Chris, uh, Chris McCarroll. I believe he was a playing Marius and Les Mis. He, he tweeted whispers. We make more money than your botanist. Um, so, <laughs> and there's a lot of people making the joke about the fact that, you know, there's a whole musical theater song about Wells Fargo. Um, you mm-hmm. might want not to uh, to go off on uh, on the theater folks. So check out Wells Fargo's uh, uh, mentions right now, and it's probably not too strong. Amen. Yep. All right. So, um, Jen, why don't you go ahead and close this one out for us? Thank you for joining us again for Some Like It Pop. I'm Eponine Q on Twitter, and Matt is at Matt. You can find us both on Broadway World, writing about all of our obsessions. And until next time, always remember, invention, my dear friends, is 93% perspiration, 6% electricity, 4% evaporation, and 2% butterscotch ripple. Rest in peace, Gene Wilder. Uh, Oh, Uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Nope, Willy Wonka and the Charlie Factory. Willy Wonka and the Charlie Factory? And we're done. Okay. a quick question can you like do you do like tarot cards too or how far does your craziness go um i'm not crazy and can acknowledge that this is probably very foo-foo if you will <laughs> foo de fafa as the flight of the concords would say uh-huh. wow much I love that show. Um, That's a terrible sentence.
All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Broadway World Sound Like a Pop Podcast. You can find all our episodes on broadwayworld.com, and you can get new episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. So make sure to subscribe, download, and share the gift that is Sound Like a Pop. Also, do our egos a favor and follow the show on Twitter at SLIP Podcast, and go over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us, please, and thank you. We invite you to get in touch with Jen and me and let us know your thoughts on the shows, movies, and topics that we discuss every week. And if you need more of me and your ear holes, check out today on Broadway from Broadway Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, and broadwayradio.com. We'll be back soon with our predictions for this year's major Emmy categories. Jen and I were very close with our predictions last year, so we'll see what happens the 2016 edition. So until next time, we'll see you around the Broadway world.